This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. G'day, folks. It's your friend Dennis Connor again and again and again, coming to you with a podcast, a special one today, uh, produced by my f- friends at the Specialty Produce Network. Roger, my uh, trust uh, producer, is in the booth in there trying to make me look good. He says pretty bad. He says you're you're sitting up there uh, with a, your your blazer on. It's 100 degrees here in San Diego. What are you doing? Well, I had to cover up uh, my my jersey with something, so that's why I'm wearing a coat. So this podcast uh, is a little bit different. Like one of the last ones we did, we had uh, Tom Whitten here as a uh, uh, guest. Special guest, everybody knew Tom Whitten, of course, but this my special guest this time is a very, very well, keenly known uh, gentleman from Australia, and his name is Bruce Stannard. So, Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Dennis, thank you for having me. So, we're looking forward to some of your uh, stories of, uh, of uh, the America's Cup and what's going on uh, down under and anything else you want to talk about, but uh, just to introduce Bruce a, a bit to you. He, he uh, uh, is a journalist. He he was uh, raised on Sydney Harbor. His his fa- uh, father had uh, boats, and so he g- grew up in small boats. But he always interested in in in, uh, in the wa- in the water. He was like a waterman, he, uh, and so he knew boats. And uh, he he got uh, involved working for Rupert Mur- Murdoch and. Uh, uh, as a well-known journalist with the uh, national uh, paper and uh, the what else were you the editor I worked with with uh, in the beginning days of your journalistic uh, well, background uh, Dennis I um, I had a very uh, uh, rapid rise in journalism I was a very uh, um, I won't say aggressive reporter but I went out there and did a lot of stuff and uh, I came to the attention of uh, Mr Murdoch who sent me to New York as the North American correspondent for the Australian, the National Daily newspaper, when I was just 21. So I was there in Manhattan uh, for three years and before I was transferred to London as the London correspondent. And um, I was in Vietnam at the end of the war as a war correspondent and in Iran, Iraq, uh, subsequently Afghanistan, all over the world covering major conflicts. But my my big interest, my personal passion, has always been sailing and boats, and so my family have had boats since the well since the seventeenth century. They were watermen originally on the River Thames in London, and uh, so I grew up in uh, in boats. And I do know the sharp end from the blunt end, and of course we great. And so then you talk about confrontations. It must have been interesting to uh, be in Newport when the Alan Bond and Warren Jones showed up with their uh, quick little white. Uh, uh, yep. a killer boat, and, and uh, you were there to cover it on behalf of the Australian nation. And you, did, did, did I understand that you actually did a radio broadcast that went worldwide uh, uh, covering the event in Newport? Yes. Well, um, I was um, I'd, I'd been fortunate enough to have won a scholarship to Harvard University, and uh, I'd uh, just completed that. I was a Neiman Fellow at Harvard, and then I went to to Newport to, to um, uh, cover the America's Cup Series in '83 for. 
the Australian Broadcasting Company, the ABC, and which is the national broadcaster in Australia, and also for one of the major newspapers called The Age in Melbourne. So I had my work cut out for me. But when it came to the um, – so I did a lot, all the broadcasts in, the, in the, the Challenge Elimination Series and the Defender Trials. Then, then came the actual cup races – and I did all the live radio for that. And as you know, um, it's uh, you really have to know your history in order to 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 to, to give an accurate description. It's not just what's going on on the race course, but all the background, all the history that I find fascinating. So hours and hours and hours of live radio, and it was quite compelling. A lot of people hung on every word, and uh, they used to watch the t- TV pictures at home, which were being transmitted from the United States, but they turned the, turned the sound down because the commentators were in yes. the studio. They, were, they didn't know any damn thing. So, but I, I was right on the spot and broadcasting directly what I saw on the water. And so... I went through all the highs and lows that you were generating on the race course. I, I became, I must confess to you, very emotional about it and perhaps too involved. So um, setting the stage, it's, uh, it's uh, three races for the U.S., three races for the Australians. And uh, so the seventh race comes out there and uh, it looked like uh, the Australian boat was quicker. And pretty obvious that this is, you're going to be watching history here. As John Bertrand and the, your your colleagues um, on the uh, uh, on the boat are going to take this cup off America after 130 years, their big bad Dennis is going to go down in defeat. Must have been a pretty exciting day. Well, it was a hugely exciting day because, and I'd gone out on a limb, a big limb, when Australia to. Um, lost the first race. You you won the very first race, but I saw something then that made me know that Australia too would win the America's Cup. And I said, Australia too will win the America's Cup, not if or might or could, but will. And that was a big call. And I was uh, with my heart in my mouth uh, at the very uh, start of the, of the final race. Remember, it went 3-3. Three, three. Uh, Dennis won 3 John Bertrand and Australia 213. So here we were eyewitnesses to history. And at the start of that seventh race, uh, Dennis just, uh, well, I have to say, he, he made a complete fool of um, Bertrand at the start. He was able to cross easily on Port Tack. And if you know anything about racing, you have no rights, of course, on Port Tack. The starboard boat is, is the one in command. But Dennis was able to, to go uh, ahead um, and just. Um, make mincemeat of the Aussies at the start. And I must say I fell into a t- deep sense of a slough of despond, I think the, w- the right word is, and I was in- deeply depressed. And that came across in my broadcast. And it wasn't until way into the race that I saw Australia uh, to let off the hook in a way by being allowed to go off to the right and they, they were able to get the pre- pressure there that, that li- Liberty did not have. So um, we all got very excited again, oh, and sure. uh, the whole country uh, was in a huge celebratory mood. And um, um, the the prime minister of the day was one of those people who uh, embraced the the green and gold of Australia's uh, colours, and and said that uh, anyone any boss who sacks his worker today for being late to work is a bum, and uh, <laughs> that that that. 
that that is one of the immortal moments of the America's Cup, the, re, the reaction that was generated. So the cup goes off to Australia. Dennis is on his rear end, doesn't know what to do. And uh, he, the whole country is uh, looking forward to a defense of the cup. Alan Bond lived in Perth, so he held the cup there in the local town, Fremantle. And uh, you must have uh, relished the assignment to go over to Fremantle and cover the event. I did, but before I went to Fremantle, I went to Hawaii to watch. Oh, I remember to, that. To watch you in the tune-up races, the, uh, the trials, and I spent, I guess, nearly a week there, uh, trailing around behind you in in, in your, the Betsy, in, the t- in, uh, catamaran we had, watching us train off of Oahu. Yes, and what I, I forgot that. Well, what I saw uh, made me feel that you were odds-on to win the cup back, and. Um, I got into some hot water when I went home to Australia. I went to a to a, a, a luncheon, a rather noisy a luncheon, in which people were uh, asking for, for my uh, my guesstimate as to what how it would work out. And I said, "Look, my, I'm an Australian. My heart may be green and gold, but I, my head says red, white, and blue." That's mm-hmm. what I said to them. Uh, Dennis will win the cup back, and I had a guy stand up in front of me with. Uh, a great deal of money in his hand. It was $1,000. And he said, well, put your money where your mouth uh-huh. is. I'm going to bet you right now. Oh, boy. All, all these people. My wife is in the front row. She said, we don't have $1,000 <laughs> to gamble, you know. But I took his bet. And, well, uh, and, and as it turns out, of course, you won for zip. So that was a really exciting times. And uh, while we were down there, we spent a, a great deal of time together together. Uh, on the, before the race and after the race, I'd come by and tell you what happened and describe it to you. And then uh, you were able to ins- inscribe that into a, a, a really my first successful book, Comeback. And now it's, it's been so popular. It's, it's out of print. And there's uh, People that get them now, you have to buy them used. And, uh, but it was a, a, a wonderful book about bringing the cup back to America and our voyage. Weren't you on the plane there when we went to see Reagan in the, at the White House and – Yes. It was exciting times. Look, Dennis, um, uh, for all your listeners should know, uh, is a very generous fellow. And uh, so he said, well, you know, if we're going to do this book properly, I want you to come home to the United States with me. We, they chart and they, they got the Continental Airlines to, to, to take the whole crew. And I, I went with them to New York and we, we had the ticker tape parade up Fifth Avenue. And um, then we went to the White House and President Reagan was very generous uh, and said some warm th- things about this marvelous win that was so important to the to the United States. Yeah, those were good times for me, of course, with the cover of Time Magazine and President and uh, President Reagan and I on the uh, cover of the Time Magazine Man of the Year. The yes. very uh, hi- highlight of my life, and uh, really appreciated uh, all you did uh, to help me. And uh, still in history, there's Bruce's book right there on the. On on the live podcast, so we we came back and uh, uh, you you continued your career uh, not only in journalism but helping the National Maritime Museum of Australia there in Sydney on the board and continued uh, uh, embellishing your, your sense of history and it's uh, great to ha- have you back here and you know this is a good time to uh, represent Australia because we have the Sydney Hobart race coming up here in a week I think Boxer Day. Starts is that the Boxing Day? Boxing yeah, the, Day is the that day after is Christmas. That actually, but that would be our Christmas because you're a twenty-four hour, you're a day ahead. Yeah, 
So really the 26th for us. 17 hours yeah. is the time difference. So, yes, the Sydney Hobart race uh, is one of the great Blue Water Classics. It's 630 nautical miles from Sydney south down the eastern coast of uh, the mainland of Australia uh, to the island state of Tasmania. So um, the uh, passage is uh, uh, – Historically, it can be a very, very turbulent one, and there have been some major cataclysmic events with unexpected gale force winds, some hurricane force winds in 1989 decimated the fleet. And so it's always a fraught. It starts out with a nice sea breeze, a nor'easter. People, the, the, the races leave Sydney Harbour and turn right go down under Spinnaker, and it's always a wonderful blossoming of all these multicolored sails as they race south. But then, because of the heat of the summer, there can be these what we call southerly busters uh, or bursters, southerly a gust of um, gale-forced winds coming through with very, very big seas, and uh, that's what often brings the smaller boats unstuck. Um, it's a, it's two races in one in a, in a way because uh, you've got these huge um, super maxis like Comanche, the American boat, just sold to this Australian uh, guy, and um, uh, Wild Oats. She's a hundred footer, so they clear out and um, race race way ahead of the pack. But there's a whole lot of other boats. Um, Coming up astern, and uh, a lot of people enjoy that race despite its rigors and hardships, and they all uh, love the idea of going to Hobart and having what they call the quiet little drink at the end. It's a grand celebration when they get into the pubs and uh, and relive the race. So uh, this year we we have uh, uh, Comanche, of course, Jim Clark's boat, but he, he turned that to uh, Neville Crichton. And uh, I know James Spithill has been down there uh, practicing with with the Comanche crew for two weeks now. I think you spoke to Jim, and you you, you know Jim's uh, dad too, don't, his father as yes. well. Yes, indeed. And he's a, James Spithill is a, a very accomplished sailor these days, but he's just a, he's a young guy, and um, it wasn't all that long ago that he was just a kid. Uh, paddling around in uh, in a little manly junior, a little pram, you know, um, that his father got off a trash heap and uh, and they they restored it because they were basically poor people and um, a little little fiberglass boat. So I was wondering well, why would James uh, Jimmy we call him? Uh, he lives next door to me, by the way. He's talking about a small world, but why why would Jimmy uh, be down there practicing with Comanche, a very accomplished crew, for weeks on end? Uh, before the start of the race, I mean, they, they know the boat, and Kenny Reed probably be there too. So they know the boat well. Why do they need to practice? And then when I saw the headlines uh, recently that uh, Neville Crichton, who had chartered the boat to go in the race with uh, Jim Clark, wasn't able to make it, uh, the boat was sold recently to an uh, accomplished, not not at the same level of uh, uh, the Rico and the best, but a very good high-level sailor, owned Brenda Bella and had been racing in the Sydney Hobart race for years. He, he uh, managed to make a deal with Jim Clark to acquire the Comanche. So then it all came together to me. I think that uh, Jimmy Spinhill was down there uh, babysitting Jim Kumi uh, before he bought the boat and making sure that he enjoyed it and comfortable with it and it was a good boat and nothing wrong with it to help Jim Clark close the deal. So I think that's pretty big news. Now, uh, one of the, if not the best, but the, the, one of the very, very, very top boats in the world uh, now uh, under uh, Australian ownership. So 
I, I wish him well. And, uh, of course, I'm rooting for Jim, J- Jimmy Spithill, to do well and uh, look forward to the uh, start of the race. Not not far off. If today's the 15th, that's uh, ten, 10 days ten, away, 10, ten days. days away. So hmm. you'll be reading on the Australian uh, or, or watching it live because it goes – down the coast, not far from your house. Yes, it's a live telecast, and um, people all around Australia, even those who don't have an interest in sailing, they always tune in to uh, watch the spectacular start of the Sydney to Hobart race. It's one of the great blue water events. So the, the navigator now is a key part of this race, is to how to n- negotiate the, the storm when it co- the front comes through, which side of it to be on. And it's not uncommon for the uh, p- people coming into uh, – Tasmania at the finish of the race to experience uh, light air coming to the end. Sometimes it's a struggle to get across the line. So no one really knows who's going to win this uh, race for sure. And it's not uncommon for a 50-footer to come in with a bit of breeze after the big boats have finished and win on corrected time. So the sailing world uh, holds their breath uh, every time at this year, and I'll be doing the same and uh, look forward to the results of the Sydney Hobart race. And gosh, Bruce, what a great treat for us to have you here and uh, share some of uh, your thoughts with us about the past. And I just want to uh, congratulate on, uh, you on all your accomplishments. You're a great, great guy. Thanks for being with us. Well, it's a pleasure and a privilege for me to be here with you, Dennis, and, uh, and an honor indeed. I guess that m- most of your readers, most of your listeners will understand that you are the greatest sailor in the United States. You've been voted that by your peers. But I would go further and say you, you're the greatest sailor in the world and will be for some time yet. There's no one else quite with your level of expertise. and Very nice of you to say, Bruce, and thanks for coming. So, folks, we're going to wind this up with by, by saying uh, thanks for uh, supporting Specialty Produce and Roger and his brothers. They're so nice to be able to allow me to send this podcast to you. And I, th- I think next uh, t- uh, podcast we'll cover the Star Sailors League. It just concluded a few days ago in in Nassau. It's really the coming uh, upcoming big sailing event uh, for the real hardcore sailors. Two hundred thousand dollar prize money. So uh, Roger and I will look forward to sharing some thoughts on that in our, our next podcast. So folks, thanks for listening to us today. I wish you a, a wonderful holiday season, a merry merry Christmas, and a wonderful New Year's. And we'll be back with you again uh, shortly with another podcast. Thanks, Roger. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.